0: Is it true? Did the devil make me do it? I want you to think back for a moment to kind of your childhood and was there a time where you were ever just kind of mean? Maybe to sibling, maybe to a friend at preschool or school? Or was there ever a time when you just kind of flat out completely disobeyed mom or dad? For me, one of my first moments of rebellion came when I was a little kid, probably about four or five, uh, was on my way to preschool with my mom, and mom looks at me, turns and looks at me in the car because we were heading there, and she looks at me and she says, Melissa, do you have bubble gum? And being the cute, sweet little girl that I was, I mean, I mean, look at this picture, wasn't I just adorable? Yes, um, great smile, great teeth, beautiful hair. Um, I looked at her being the sweet, innocent little girl that I was, and I was like, well, no, ma'am. Of course not. And that's when she reaches across the car and sticks her fingers into my pocket and pulls out one of my three-cent Super Bubble Bubble Gums. Grape-flavored, of course, because they were my favorite. And unbeknownst to me, I had had a whole bunch of them stuffed in my little pocket, and if you've ever had Super bubble, bubble gum, and they, a mound of them, they look like golf balls in your pocket. And in that moment, as she pulls it out, she said, I think to this day, the most terrifying eight words I've ever heard in my life. And she said, Melissa, and then she got that look. Some of you know that look, right? You've mastered it for your own kids. She looked at me and she said, Melissa, we'll deal with this when you get home. And so in tears, I walk into school trying to figure out how to face the eight hours of mental torture that was ahead of me, as I just only imagined stories of what would happen when I got home, and because my mom is just a sweet, loving mom, when I got home, of course I got disciplined, and the talking to, and more of those looks, and if only in that moment I could have looked at her with those sad, weepy little eyes and said, Mom, but the devil made me do it. Do you think she would have bought it? Somebody, no, I know, she wouldn't have. You must know my mom. Um, No, she wouldn't have. But it is kind of a question for us this morning. Did the devil make me do it? Did the devil make me lie to my mother that day? Or is there anything right now in my life that the devil's making me do like the other day, did the devil make me eat the entire pint of Ben and Jerry's peanut butter and cookies ice cream? Some of you are like, no, but he made me eat the gallon. I get it. <laughs> or did he make me binge watch more episodes of Madam Secretary in a row on Netflix than I care to admit to you? Or did he make me get angry and lose my cool and snap at a coworker the other day? Or has he made me do any of the other countless things that I've done throughout my life? Did the devil make me do it? And is it possible that there's something bigger than us out there making us do things that we don't want to do? That whatever it is, can the devil make us do it? Now, I know some of you here for the first time, or maybe new, checking out Faith, it can be hard to imagine, right, that there is something out there, a devil or Satan, that there's a source of evil, that he's out there impacting the world. But let's be real for a moment. Have you ever had one of those moments in life, and you look back and think, how did that happen? How did I end up doing that? Or did you ever have one of those moments where a thought popped into your head that was so evil or so dark that it scared you? Like it was one of those days when you're just kind of having a good day, driving along, singing to the radio, and just out of nowhere this thought pops into your head. Jerk the wheel, run the car off the road. No one will miss you. Is it possible that there is a source of that evil thought or those evil actions? Is it possible that that source has a name? Is it possible that that source exists in a realm that we can't see? And now, I'm not talking about the cartoon character with the little red beard and the tail with the pitchfork or the Halloween costume from the Halloween store. I'm not talking about that kind of character. Instead, I'm talking about the real spiritual forces of evil working in the world today to bring destruction and oppression, injustice, racism, abuse, and more evil. And I believe this morning as we dive into scripture, we can see that there is something bigger going on and that, yes, there is a real war being waged. And this can kind of be hard to grasp, right? Especially around this time of year when all the horror movies and scary movies are in the theaters and you can't turn on YouTube without a commercial of them popping up. And demon possession and ghost stories in the movies. I mean, those really can't be real, right? They're kind of ridiculous. Or if they are real, should I live afraid? Is there something demonic that can make me do things that I don't don't want to do? And as we look at scripture, we see some things that the Bible says about the devil and this invisible world. So join in with me to Ephesians 6, verse 12. And the Apostle Paul says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And what we hear Paul say in all those in this verse is that all those issues that you might be having with your coworker, your spouse, your family, your neighbor, your neighbor's dog pooping on your lawn, whatever it is, all those issues, there could be something else going on, something else that maybe need to factor in, that there truly are some dark and unruly characters and authorities and evil spirits out there. And the apostle Peter jumps in a little bit later and in, agrees in, in 1 Peter 5, 8, and he says, yes, there is something bigger going on as he gives us a warning about this enemy. And he says, be alert and of sober mind. And it's basically like he's going, hey, listen up. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And maybe you don't believe Peter or Paul. You can hear the words of Jesus in John 10.10 as he talks about the thief coming to steal, kill, and destroy you and me. Which this is so inspiring, isn't it? I mean, aren't you just so glad you came to church this morning? All you need people are like, wow, this is fun. I know. I mean, but is there really this roaring lion prowling around looking for someone to devour? And if so, what should our response be? Should we be afraid or is this a battle that we can win? And I say this morning that in Jesus' name, my friends, yes, this is a battle that we can win. That you see, Peter doesn't leave us hanging at verse eight. He doesn't say, be alert and observe mind, that your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, so good luck. Or he doesn't say, hey, the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, so grab your kids, go home and hide under the bed with helmets on. He doesn't say that either. He gives us a response in verse nine that I think is a message for us this morning. And in verse nine, he goes on to say, resist him. Standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And I love Peter's words here to resist him. He doesn't say fear him, he doesn't say ignore him. He says resist him, and he lets us know in those two words that this is something that we can do, that we can stand firm, that we don't have to be pushed around anymore, and that friends, that the devil can't make us do it. And I know for some of you, you're asking, but how? Because honestly, I have been pushed around all week, all month, or my whole life. How can I really stand firm, and what does that really look like? Well, I believe this morning we can learn a few things about fighting a spiritual war by looking at a physical one. And for those of you that have served in the military, and can I just say thank you for doing that for us and serving for us. That for those of you that have served in the military, you know one of the first things that you ever do before you go into battle is to study the enemy's schemes. And so that's where we're going to start this morning. And the good news is that Satan only has one real main tactic that he uses. It's the lie. And the bad news is, though, is that he is very, very good at it. And his lies can take on different forms. And we're going to look at a few of them this morning. And I wonder, is there any of them that as we kind of go through them that Satan is trying to right now use on you? And so we'll look at his favorite one. It's enemy lie number one. It's that God can't be trusted. And if we go all the way back into the book of Genesis, kind of chapter two, chapter three, we see the Garden of Eden unfolding. And there in the middle of the garden is this one tree. And God's like, hey, don't touch that one because some bad things are going to happen. Satan rolls into the scene, kind of looks at Eve and says, um, did God really say... I think that was his tone, I don't really know. Um, But in that moment, he kind of plants this little seed of doubt, that can God really be trusted with what he says? And I know for me, in my life, this lie has been used over and over again. Even even lately, when I look at kind of where I'm at in my life, I notice how much Satan is trying to get me to doubt that I can really trust God with my future, that relationally I will always be alone, that I won't get married or have a family, and so I start to feel down, and I start to feel hopeless, and who wants to feel that, so let's just go to Target and do some shopping therapy. (laughs) You do it too, okay, good, we'll pray for each other. And so as I start to feel down, I, I go do these things out of this one lie, and I wonder, what about you? Is Satan trying to use this one on you? That what's the area of life that Satan is trying to get you to believe that you can't trust God with? Is it your financial security, your dating life, maybe? Maybe it's that school you're trying to get into. Maybe it's the hopelessness you feel around your kids that, man, God, I really don't think I can trust you with them, with the way their life is going right now. And what's interesting to note is all those sentences that I just kind of threw out have one common denominator and that word is you. That those thoughts really are about you which kind of sets up enemy lie number two. It's another favorite that he uses and he'll oftentimes say, it's okay, you fill in the blank. Oh, it's okay, you deserve it. Or it's okay, you've earned it. It's okay. You know you better than they do. You do you. It's okay. You do it for you, right? And it's this lie that feeds off of the soil of pride and entitlement. And it's that little voice that tells us or maybe tells me that, you know, at the end of a hard day, I deserve a drink or four when I don't even need one. But for me, sometimes it's that little voice that at all hours of the day that I can hear that says, I deserve pancakes, bacon, and chocolate cake in that order. All hours of the day I can hear that voice. I mean, after all, I've earned it. Because I adulted three days in a row this week. I've earned it, right? Yeah, thank you, thank you. You know, you know how hard it is too. And so it's that little voice that says anything that it needs to, as it tugs on pride and entitlement to get you to do something for you instead of giving God a chance to show up and meet your needs. And this lie can have some severe consequences because when we do things, it never just affects us, does it? It always affects others. After all, there's something bigger going on, right, in this whole story of life. And we see this play out in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And at this point in the story, for those of you that didn't stay up last night memorizing it, at this point in the story, David has taken over for King Saul. And if you're new to the Bible, King Saul was the first king of the Israelites. And when he was king, David got word that one day he would replace King Saul. King Saul kinda didn't like hearing that, so may have tried to kill David a couple of times. I'll do a spoiler alert, he doesn't. King Saul actually ends up tragically dying in one of the battles. King David takes over, and as he's starting to kinda play out this whole I'm king thing, he does a few things great. He enters into some battles with some bad guys, wins a few things. He even tries to get the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, so he's doing some good but he has this moment of pride, this moment of entertaining the lie. And we read in verse one of chapter 21 of 1 Chronicles, and it says that Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. And I want you to pause here with me and notice, do you see it? That Satan incited David. And incited is just kind of this big fancy word that means kind of to lure or to persuade or to urge or to talk into. And we see Satan have this moment of luring David oh, it's okay. Take a census. Count the number of men that you have right now. It's okay. You deserve to know how many men you have. After all, you've been fighting a few battles, right? But the truth is, he didn't need to know. You see, earlier in the story, David had made this promise and this request to God of, hey God, will you give me wisdom for any decision that I make? And in this moment, David doesn't turn to wisdom. Instead, he turns to his own desires and he just kinda listens to this lie. But why was this so evil? Because some of you may get the irony, we just took a survey to count people, you getting the irony in this? Yeah, it's been fun trying to figure out how to spin this. Um, Why was it so bad for David to take numbers? Well, because back in those times, you weren't allowed to count or number your men unless they were yours. And the Israelites weren't David's, they were God's. And so in this moment of doing this one thing, he takes ownership of something that isn't his. And you know how we talked about that there's something bigger going on, that Satan was inciting and luring David, not just for David, but, but, but for something bigger. And we look back at the verse again, and it says, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David. Do you notice the first part? Satan rose up against Israel That was the main goal, and for some of you, Satan is trying to get at you for something way bigger than just you. And that we read later in chapter 21 in the story that because of David's actions, 70,000 Israelites end up losing their life because there was something bigger going on, and why? When David had the opportunity to resist the lie, David had the opportunity to even bounce this thought off one of his commanders. He goes to Joab and says, hey, will you go take a census? And Joab looks at him and goes, no, David, we don't need to do this. And in this moment, David takes wise, godly counsel and tosses it. And I wonder if that's anything that you've ever done. I know I have. There have been moments where someone has tried to speak loving truth to me, and I just kind of take it and say, oh, no, I know better. And I just kind of toss it to the side. And David had this moment of impatience, saying, no, I'm not going to listen to you, and I'm not going to check with God. It needs to be done now, which sets up enemy lie number three. For all of you impatient friends like me, well, it has to be done now, right? Right? I don't have time to check in with God. I don't have time to check in with wise, godly counsel. It has to be done now. And in our culture of instant gratification, this lie gets used so often, does it? Yeah, don't go check with anybody else. Just do it now, which sets up enemy lie number four. Not only do it now, but you can handle this on your own. It's the lie, lie of isolation. It's a lie that keeps us little old sheep standing alone in the pasture. And some of you may remember back to First Peter's words that our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion and if you're the little old sheep all alone and if you've ever watched the Discovery Channel, you know it doesn't really go too well for the prey, right? It's the one that's alone that the predator looks for. And so that's one of Satan's main tactics is how can he get you or me alone? And I know for me, I think back to my 20s when I was right out of college and I was just kind of floating around on the outskirts of church. I wasn't anchored in or plugged in anywhere and I had some family stuff just kind of blow up and in that moment my life just got thrown off course because I wasn't anchored in all because I was living the lie that I could handle it on my own. And it's so easy to believe, isn't it? His lies and his schemes are so good sometimes. And the scary thing about it is when Satan can control what we believe, he then can control how we behave. And some of you are not very happy with the way that you've been showing up in the world and the way that you've been behaving. And I wonder in what aspect has Satan been controlling what you believe? And it begs the question then, what are we to do? What do we do with this devil and how can we resist him and find a way out? We read in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that Paul says that no temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. That there's this moment and space of temptation and in that verse he's saying hey, that moment of temptation Everybody kind of has different versions of it, but there's nothing really new there. And God is faithful, and you notice right there that so goes against, God can't be trusted, right? And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. And so you imagine this moment of temptation and you're standing there in the middle of the circle and Satan is just kind of walking around or his little demons or his little devils are walking around just whispering lie after lie. And in that moment, it feels like you're stuck. But this verse says, if you look around, there will be a door and a way out. And so what does it take to pause in that moment and simply say, God, what's the truth here? Because the way out always involves the truth, right? Because the truth sets us free. And so that is our main weapon that we fight with, that we can walk out the door of truth out of any situation. Because the devil can't make us do it. And Paul says the very same thing in Second Corinthians 10, four through five, where he says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. And I know some of you are gun packing Texans, right? Well, we don't fight with guns, grenades, or AK-47s. Those are physical weapons for a physical war. On the contrary, we fight with spiritual weapons and they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And the verse says that we demolish arguments and every pretension, that's just kind of fancy language for saying we shatter lies that set themselves up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every, wait, does it say every? Every, right? every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And some of you ask them, well what does that really look like, taking captive every thought? Well, for me it kind of looks like this, that as a thought kind of flows through my mind, I stop, I catch it, and I look at it. And scripture says to make it obedient to Christ, so there's this moment that I can capture a thought, look at it, and say, does this thought match this? And if it doesn't, I don't have to hold on to it as truth. I can toss it in the trash. Pretend there's a trash can right there. (laughs) And another thought comes through my mind and I pause and I look at it. And why this is so important is that anytime in your mind you can hear one of three voices, you can hear God's voice, and He will always tell you the truth. And some of you right now, as I even say in that or believe in a lie, that you can't hear God's voice. Well, scripture says, my sheep hear my voice, and you can this morning. All right, if you're gonna clap, you gotta go for it. There we go, okay. He says that my sheep hear my voice, so I can hear his, and he's always going to tell me the truth. Scripture says, you know what? I can hear Satan's voice, and what is he always going to tell me? A lie. Some of you have been paying attention. Good job. And then I can hear a third voice, which is my own, and on a good day, it might be 50 50. And so, what does it look like to slow life down enough to take a thought, capture it, look at it? Is this trash or truth? You'll never change. Don't even try. Hmm. You should eat all the chocolate cake. <laughs> truth, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Don't fall for that. God is up to something. Give him more time. Hmm. That's truth. So I can fold this one up, and I can keep it. And so we have these moments where we can capture these thoughts and go, is this trash, or is this truth? And we can live off of truth today. That we don't have to believe the lies of trash that Satan is constantly trying to throw at us. And here's the thing, for some of you, if you've had a thought that is a lie, and instead of trashing it, you've kinda of taken it and you've held on to it as truth, it kinda of becomes a foothold, right? Well, this morning, if there's a lie that you've been leaving that's been a foothold, that's been tripping you up, in Jesus' name, you can trash it. And there's some of you out there that have had these moments or these thoughts pop in your mind. You've had these moments of temptation. You think you've been making progress, and you just hit that one thought or that one moment of temptation, and you're tempted to believe, well, I'm not making any progress. Nothing is ever going to change. Remember, that thought may not actually be yours. In the moment of temptation, to be tempted isn't a sin. Even, even Jesus was tempted, Right? but he found the door of truth and he walked out. And so if Satan is trying to get you to believe that this morning, you'll never change. You had a thought, you had a temptation. Oh, in Jesus' name, that's not true. I get to live in freedom today. And what if you're still, you've been trying to do that and you're still feeling stuck? One of the things that can often happen in life is if I have a lie and I take it and I believe it, and a few days later I hear it again and I believe it, and maybe a few months later I hear it and I believe it, what about if decades I've been believing this one lie and this is the number of times I've agreed to it and I try to tear it, what happens? It's a little bit tougher, isn't it? This foothold has now become a stronghold, meaning it has a stronghold on my attitudes, my actions, my addictions, and it starts to control pieces of my life. So then what, what really are we to do? Well, first off, if this is you and if there's been a stronghold going in your life, I want you to know that whether you've done it one time or a thousand times, there is grace and freedom here this morning in Jesus' name. that Jesus wants to do something about this and that we have weapons to wage war against it. And one of the first weapons that we've talked about is the word of God. It is knowing the truth and the truth can set you free. Another weapon that we have that Satan absolutely hates is to praise and worship. I don't know about you, Do you love the worship this morning? Yeah. Well, Satan absolutely gets slapped in the face when we open up our hearts, and regardless of how good or bad we sing, we just open our hearts and worship and praise him. And when we do that. (laughs) And then also this morning, not only do we have the word of God, not only do we have praise, but we have an opportunity to use a weapon called prayer. Prayer. And it's a huge weapon, and we're gonna go to it in just a second, but before we do, I want you to know that we don't just have weapons, that we have an armor that we can put on, right? That we don't ever send our soldiers out into the field without the right boots and the right vest, bulletproof vest, that's it, and helmets and different things, that we have spiritual armor that we can put on. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians 6, and he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. and His mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that You can take your stand against the devil's schemes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, may feel like it at times, right? But against the rulers and the spiritual authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Breathe. Therefore, because of all this is going on, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground that you don't have to get pushed around anymore. And after you have done everything to stand, and he says again, stand firm then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, that there is something that happens when we know this so well, that it keeps us tethered and it keeps us anchored, that we don't shift around like the rest of the world with the breastplate of righteousness in place, that one of the things the enemy loves to do is just pound you with arrows about your past mistakes, that you get to stand here clothed in righteousness, that it can be a shield across your chest to protect your heart. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, that there's this truth of the gospel that I can put on and I can walk into situations no matter how chaotic and I can show up and usher in peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And that sword, the word of God, it is our only offensive weapon. And there are ways in which when you know this, not just here, but here, it absolutely slices and dices the enemy to bits. And the other weapons, I mean, the other pieces of armor are defensive, like the shield of faith. The shield of faith can block some arrows, right? But there's something that happens when we are connected into community with other believers that have other shields. We get to lock them together. And it looks like this. How does Satan get into that, right? And so we have the opportunity that Paul says that daily we can take on and put on this armor. And he closes with with the last weapon. And he says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kind of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And for some of you this morning, you need a moment to pray, because you clearly know a lie that you've been believing and you need to have a moment to talk to God about it and say, hey, I know and you know, and so in Jesus' name, we're tossing this and I'm repenting, which basically means I am turning away from that lie. I'm stepping towards truth. It's just the fancy word for changing my mind. And for others of you, the number of times that you've been believing has become a stronghold, and to try to tear it up this morning on your own isn't possible. You need some people around you to help tear this bad boy up, right? Well, this morning, we're going to have prayer team members down at the front. They got some very skilled, special spiritual scissors to help do some damage on that. Anyone ready for some freedom this morning? Yeah. Because we see that there is something bigger going on here and that something bigger is Jesus, that this morning he's bringing the opportunity for bigger love, bigger joy, bigger peace, bigger freedom. And as the band is gonna play in a moment a song, we're gonna get to declare this bigness over our homes, over our lives, over our city, that the words of the song talk about at the name of Jesus, the darkness trembles. We don't have to tremble at the enemy, he's gotta to tremble to our Jesus. And so in a moment, as the band sings, you have the opportunity to sit in your seats or maybe you wanna stand up and you wanna declare war and you wanna praise like you never have before, the truth that there is no darkest in your life that Jesus can't penetrate. And so as we sing, I wanna invite you, would you open your heart to Jesus in a new way, to talk to him about any of these things that have been going on, and to sing out and let let the darkness know that at the name of Jesus, you have to tremble. So as we sing, open up your hearts.